This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Being the world's largest manufacturer is no guarantee to profits, especially when faced with the perfect storm of supply chain disruptions, rising raw material prices and a weaker demand, no thanks to a pandemic. But is the worst over for this company? We speak to Go Mian Kiat. He's the CEO of Carex, the largest latex condom maker to find out on this Valentine's Day. Thank you for coming in again, MK. Now, Carex suffered two consecutive years of losses, 1 million in 2021 and then 6.2 million in 2022. And I think we are beginning to see the first shoots of profit in the most recent quarter at 2.3 million ringgit. Has Carex turned the corner for good? Morning, Shaolin. We think... Yes, I think for Carex, we believe that the worst is over. We had had not just two years of bad years. We had been having a few years of bad years, you know, thanks to, um, you know, COVID. But I think there is a lot of things that we've learned from COVID in terms of how to continue to strengthen this organization further. Yeah. And, you know, what's <clears throat> driving this recovery? Is it stronger demand, which then begs my first question, right? I thought the pandemic would, would be good for condom sales, but it's been the opposite, right? How bad were sales during that period? Well, Shaning, I think we, when we first came into the pandemic, we all thought that we we're going to go in for a lockdown for two weeks. Two weeks became two years. And I guess it's, uh, you know, when you look in, into condom sales, um, it has, coming out from this pandemic, it has dropped almost 40%. Uh, why is it so? Government has actually stopped purchasing condoms uh, for some time because obviously you need to then social distance and not be meeting up with people for sex. Uh, funds were actually diverted towards, HIV, uh, towards uh, COVID-related uh, expenses. The sex industry actually collapsed during COVID. Young people were not meeting up among themselves for mm. casual sex. And I think one of the interesting facts as well is that the fact that you know, tertiary universities, uh, tertiary studies universities were online and there were less people having opportunities to meet up. Okay, so there were chance to mingle, right? Yep. Uh, but I want to stay on revenue for the moment uh, before getting into cost because there are three divisions within Carex. You've got tender, commercial, and then own brand manufacturing. Now, after a little digging, own brand, 16, 18% of total sales in 2022, right? While commercial is close to 59% and tender 23%. What I'm curious about is tender. Why is it at the lowest level since listing? And just some background, this relies on social welfare channels for distribution. Why has we been so slow? Well, that's, that's because of COVID. Partly, but before even COVID, uh, we've already been told that, um, you know, to expect that government spending is going to be reduced. Has it recovered though? Are you expecting recovery? We don't in think we're going to see recovery. Um, we're not going to see a recovery back to what it was because, you know, the last pandemic was the HIV AIDS pandemic. And that was the 80s and governments has been giving out condoms for free for a very long time. But I think even if you look into today, there's still 2 million infections every year. So, and today we look a lot at the old, that some of the poorer countries, they are no longer as poor as they were in the 80s. So Africa can afford their own condoms today. So government, especially together with the NGOs, together with the non-profit organizations, are turning a model towards a social enterprise model instead of a social marketing model. So those days they used to get free condoms, mm. but today they're starting to buy condoms themselves. So that's where... We believe that it's a model that will continue to come down, but eventually it will still not go down to zero. 
Okay, and meanwhile, own brand manufacturing under the label, right, One Condoms, peaked at 18% of total sales. In fact, it was like 14% the year before and then 18% at 2020. I, of course, it used to be only, what, 3% of sales at time of IPO in 2013. Are you expecting a better contribution in the coming quarters or have you hit, like, the, the, the wall, the peak? No, I think there's still a lot of opportunity for us <clears throat> to actually grow own brand further. I think the own brand is really still in the infant stage or the organization is growing. Uh, there's a lot of new things that we're looking at. Um, for example, in the US, um, there's a few growth perspectives in terms of how we can grow in the US. Uh, there's one thing that's been quite big for us in the US last year. We're the first company ever to now uh, be able to label a condom safe for anal sex. Mm. Um, and that was due to you know clinical studies that we've done. And condoms were only allowed for... Um, you know, the regular sex back then. So that's where, uh, you know, distribution channels has opened for us, uh, especially with the major retailers in the US. And because of the whole, you know, concept of diversity and that we accept that, you know, people could have sex with whoever they want to have. Yeah. Uh, but when you look back at the last few years, right, I'm sure there's been significant product development, marketing and distribution costs involved in building up the One Condoms brand. Do you think the return on investment is worth it? I mean, because the reality is it's not easy to compete with the likes of the bigger boys, right? So be it Durex or Okomato for online or even shelf advertising space. They, they belong to much larger conglomerates and you're comp compared to them much smaller. No, I think that's where we believe in Carex that, you know, we have to be very innovative always when it comes to brand. Uh, you know, we bought over a brand uh, in the US, we acquired in 2014, and uh, we've continued acquiring other new ideas. And we believe that, you know, while there are brands and conglomerates that are big, but I think what people are looking for in the condom world is solutions for people. For example, one of the things that we went is to go into customizing condoms, where today we can make 60 sizes of condom and we can customize to a person. And it's not only just the conventional online sales. Today, we're also looking into a subscription model as well. So trying to be a niche brand is the, the focus here. But, I, you know, when I read your notes accompanying quarter one results uh, and under the group prospects, like we say, we can see Carex turning around the corner. Now, I'm curious because in there it, I read um, Carex is beginning to see exceptional demand for products in certain markets and in response will the, to this will shift from social welfare models towards the private sector. Can you elaborate on what this private sector, where is the growth coming from specifically? Well, there's a lot of developing countries that has been getting free condoms over the years mm -hmm. for free. Um, and, you know, again, when I always start looking into it, when you look into a condom on a retail shop, that's what consumer sees. And you pay an average of 80 to a dollar US cents, uh, you know, 80 cents to a dollar on retail shelf in terms of the value of the product. But as a manufacturer, we're only seeing it being transacted probably at around three to four cents a piece. Yeah. So there's a lot of value on the table. And this is where, you know, we used to supply a lot of products to governments uh, and they give up for free distribution. But that's when now uh, we start to see a lot of social marketeers, uh, you know, social marketeers that get them for free are now being selling and they're buying it through a social enterprise model where they now start to sell condom at a much higher value. Uh, and that's really creating a lot more value in the market because in the end of the day, when governments used to buy condoms, it's just your plain, regular, non-color, non-flavored condoms. Mm. But when features comes into a condom, that's when excitement comes in. And that's when people start to look into the value in terms of how much more 
value you can create through, you know, coloured, textured, dotted condoms, or even potentially in the future, you know, looking into synthetic products. So is this where the margins are really going to come from? Because in the past, if you talk about tender, they're probably like, like you say, vanilla condoms, right? Uh, but when in the private sector, you can offer more options. So how much margins are you expecting, you know, from, let's say, the different segments, be it own brand, be it uh, commercial, and of course, tender? Well, uh, the tender market has been traditionally one of the lowest in terms of the margins. Uh, and the own brand's margins is probably the highest ever. Uh, you know, own brand margins are probably in the range of 50 to 60% margins. Okay, so very, very big difference. It's a very big difference. And then you look into the whole segment of the private label business. Um, again, private label business is not just your plain regular condom as well. Uh, it really de- depends on the packaging. It depends on, the, you know, the product variety that we are supplying. You know, people are today moving towards thinner and thinner condoms where the value is actually higher when you go to thinner condoms. Uh, so that basically brings up the margin. Okay, and uh, let's talk about product launches because you kind of mentioned it just a moment ago. And I gather you're targeting commercial production of new synthetic-based condoms. Is your product ready for commercial production? Has it, of course, attained the gold standard, which is FDA approval? We are in that process. Uh, we've developed products. Uh, we've developed a synthetic product. Um, and we believe that synthetic product is the way to go. How big is this market? Give us a, a flavour of it, MK. It could potentially be... It could overtake uh, you know, the, the natural rubber condom market eventually, right? Uh, that's how we see it because, you see... Uh, well, people are used to using natural rubber condom, and that's today probably around 95% of condoms globally used today are natural rubber. But the whole notion of people using the condom has changed because in the 80s and 90s, people were using condoms basically for a safety, you know, a, a, an idea for safety. They want to get, you want to be, they want to feel safe. Which is still valid to today. Which is still valid today. But today, you know, HIV AIDS is no longer a death sentence. Uh, there are treatments, there's no cure. Mm. And um, today people are looking towards pleasure. So everybody who asks me today is like, you know, how do I get more pleasure using a condom? And we can see trends, uh, trends in a way that condoms are becoming thinner. And going thinner, basically, we can see that the risk profile has changed. Okay. So that's why people want to use a condom when the, to feel that the condom's not there. All right, and then this is where the synthetic plays yeah. a role. And synthetic comes in because... What you look into it is that natural rubber doesn't transmit heat mm. and synthetic is a product that transmits heat. So you want to feel that the, the, the material is not there and doesn't need to always be only on thickness of a product. But I think the material will be do a huge change because today, even if you look at the Gates Challenge 10 years ago, uh, Mr. Bill Gates said that you know only 5% of men globally are only using condoms. If you can change that notion, if you can double you know, men using condoms today, mm. uh, we can increase that market significantly. Okay, but are you ready for commercial production? How soon do you expect this to be rolled out? And I mean, did you have to spend quite a bit of capex to get to get to, to a certain manufacturing level? I mean, does it require new equipment? Yeah, it's it's a product that doesn't just comes off the oven overnight. You know, we've been developing this product for years uh, through our research and development process. Um, you know, it's a product that's really gone through clinical trials 
And part of that expenses that we've increased additional over the last few years is basically into development of new products. So we're ready to get this product out. We believe that it should be launched in the market by uh, calendar year, first quarter next year. Okay, but will it be under the commercial segment, which is then sold under other brand names, or will it eventually be launched under the one condom brand? No, it will be. Um, for this, what we believe that we will be, uh, we're already in talks, very, very advanced talks with, mm. you know, brands globally, uh, you know, brand leaders globally in terms of, uh, you know, going with synthetic condoms. They are very interested to look into this because I guess people that we speak to, everyone is concerned about the fact that, you know, we've not been really seeing, you know, growth uh, of people using condoms for a very long time. Okay, so the market has been flat. It's been rather flat. We've only been seeing more value growth. Uh, but what people want to see today is that, uh, you know, they want to have more of that pleasure, uh, you know, value in a, in a product, and that will grow the market significantly. Okay. And yeah, the, 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 I think the solution that what we're seeing today for synthetic products is basically the fact that there are two synthetic condoms already available in the market. But unfortunately, they are at retail price currently at yes. three times the cost of a Detra I Bar did Bar. some checking and I looked at a, at a pharmaceutical <clears> website, <throat> right? So a box of 12 Durex Real Fuel Condoms, which is synthetic, 50 ringgit. As opposed to a one condom box, regular super thin, at 30 ringgit. A lot of difference. So I want to know, is Carex ready to achieve that? Manufacturing perfection, I call it, to keep prices low so that your products can gain traction. Because if you can't manufacture at a cheap price, you know, you're not going to find a buyer for your products. Yep. We, we, have, we have looked into all that solutions. Um, and I think, you know, Carex is, as you know, I've mentioned, that we are, we are the largest condom maker in the world. We have that experience in hand. Um, and generally what we believe that if we are going into a synthetic product, what we want to do is that we want a product that's able to go mass. And you'll be the cheapest on the street? Definitely. On the breakfast grill this Valentine's Day is Go Mian Kiet. He is the CEO of Carex, the world's largest condom maker. After the break, despite better demand, is the challenge cost? And is it too late to buy the shares, which are already up from 130% from September lows? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this Valentine's Day is Go Mian Kiet. He's the CEO of Carex, the world's largest condom maker. Before the break, is the worst over for this company, which had seen two consecutive years of losses. Now, MK, let's talk about costs, because we talked about the top line. Now, last year, perfect storm of higher key component costs like latex prices, freight rates, which at one, at one point, I think, went up 300 over percent. We more than s- that. More than that. Okay, then we had silicon oil and packaging materials. Ibiza margins, you still enjoyed around 5.6% in the last financial year. But, you know, it's still a long way off from what we used to see. Uh, in the early days post-listing in 2014 to 2016, you know, you used to have Ibiza margins of high teens. Are those glory days over? No, I think those glory days are just about to come. Uh, you know, if you look into the fact that, um, you know, I- I- even six months ago, um, you know, pre-pandemic, let me just give you an example. In terms of freight rates, we were paying a 40-foot container to the US for only around $3,000. Mm. At the peak of COVID, we're paying $32,000. Wow. Right. So what happens is today, um, it's, it's interesting when you look at the Carex business model and we talk about how we went from, you know, a, a plain manufacturer and today we have our own brands and today we're into private labels in a very big way. We are supplying the big chains in the US. 
And when we look into that, what happens is that today, uh, unfortunate, we have to then deliver products directly to uh, you know, our clients in the mm. US and we have to absorb some of the freight rates. So uh, there is definitely a lagging effect with regards to freight rates and you know, how we, when we ship from Malaysia, it's part of our cost of goods before we even ship the yeah. products to our client. So um, generally from, I think, what you look into quarter one numbers, uh, we're still not seeing a translation of lower costs. Yeah, I think your EBITDA margins for quarter one are still 7% or yeah. thereabouts. So uh, do you see There uh, will be quarter lags. Yeah, they will, be see, they will see, we'll continue to see quarter lags with regards to margins and we believe that margins will continue to improve. Okay. As we continue to see key components, uh, you know, generally, uh, you know, coming down. But of course, it's not that just everything is coming down. Uh, there's quite a volatile market with regards to, you know, uh, currency, for example, the US dollar. Uh, you know, labor costs has continued to be expensive. And we've also been hit this month to a certain extent in Malaysia with regards to, uh, you know, electricity rates as well. Okay, so on some level, the question I have is that can you actually pass on these rising costs to the end customer? It doesn't sound like it, right? We can. Can we, you? Because yes. I, I get the sense that the corner market is really commoditized. So a lot of it is down to your efficiencies and economies on scale. And everyone is a price taker. Am I wrong? Because unless average selling prices for an industry improve, there's very little you can do, actually. No, I think if you look into a revenue perspective, our average revenue quarters is around 95, 100 million probably. Mm. Last quarter, we did 145. Uh, you know, definitely we have not increased our capacity as much. If there was no price increment, there's no way we can achieve such, you know, revenue numbers. Okay, and so it's down to capacity utilisation, is it's it? It's not just capa capacity utilisation, but I think in the condom industry, we can change. But you see, a condom is actually a, a product that's for retail market generally. Uh, unlike, you know, products, for example, in commercial, uh, sorry, in an industrial sector where you can adjust prices fairly quick. Uh, so when you have retailers buying your products, you take an average of about a year to make adjustments on prices. So what we've done is that we've been continuously right up uh, you know, increasing prices. And but customers have accepted it. Customers have accepted it. And that's where what we're seeing is that now with an increased price, basically, and now with, you know, when you're going to see probably lower raw material price, that's where your margin's going so to come So you're in. not going to lower your prices, obviously, <laughs> when costs come down. Uh, I have a question, though, about capacity utilisation. You've got three plants, right? Two yeah. in Malaysia and one in Hat Yai. So what is the capacity utilisation now? Well, in condoms-wise, generally, we are, we are almost in full production right now. Okay. Um, demand has actually been very strong. And partly because, you know, demand usage of condoms throughout COVID is still there, even though maybe governments are not buying them and people are buying them in lesser quantities. However, I think the world has sort of reopened. Mm. Uh, people are generally feeling happier. We feel that, you know, more, you know, interactions are happening. Condom usage is actually on an upward trend. But I think one thing that we see throughout COVID as well is there's been quite a bit consolidation in the market. Uh, we've seen reports that, you know, 50% uh, of factories, almost 20 factories in China actually shut down. Uh, three factories that I know in Korea has shut down operations. Why have they shut down? Is it just because the business is so so challenging, they can't make the money? The business is very challenging. It's not just about COVID, but, you know, condom is a medical device and we're the highest level of non-medicated medical device. Regulation costs has increased tremendously. So with all the increased costs, uncertainty in the market, with raw materials, with demand, 
that generally just consolidated our business. And coming out from this storm, I think Carex is in a very good space right now. Okay, so does this then mean that you are considering capacity expansion? Would it be in Malaysia or would it be in Thailand, Hat Yai? Well, we are putting capacity expansion in Thailand. Uh, we are expanding. Mm. Uh, when we are expanding currently with regards to the synthetic condoms. Okay. Uh, Thailand? Yep. And why Thailand, not Malaysia though? Uh, well, uh, there, there is still quite a bit of challenges we face here in Malaysia with regards to labour. Uh, you know, we, the, the, the foreign labour uh, has opened the market, we understand that, but Carex has stopped taking foreign workers since 2019. Okay, this is respond to some labour practice allegations you had in 2019, right? Yes. Same year. Yes, and we have then decided, uh, today we are down to, at the point of time we were almost 50% of our workforce uh, having foreign workers, but today out of our 3,500 employees, only 600 left. Um, but we will continue to just grow in terms of automation. We want to grow where we would be able to actually, you know, hire labor, local laborers, uh, in, in, you know, employees in the company. And Thailand actually is one, uh, you know, incentives, uh, raw materials is easily available. Uh, over in Thailand than compared here to Malaysia. Now, in August 2020, during the pandemic, you, uh, Carex announced plans to venture into the glove industry. Yeah. Uh, it was the hottest sector at that time, right? And I read 40 to 50 million has been invested into this venture with plans for 10 lines. Do you think it's a mistake in hindsight? Because now the glove sector is facing very significant headwinds. Even the world's largest nitrile glove maker, Hata Lega, booked a loss of... 32 million ringgit in the most recent quarter. With your scale, which is very small, would it be better to just walk away from this venture? No, I think it's something that we, you know, we're, we're, we're committed. Uh, we believe in the market. Mm. Uh, and Can you compete though? Because it's a bit about, it's similar to condoms, right? It's scale, scale counts, economies of scale matter, right? Yes. Cost uh, efficiency, two lines. What kind of cost efficiency would you enjoy? Well, I think it's not just looking into cost perspective. I think it's to look into the market perspective. I think where Carex has opportunities in terms of distribution channels is currently in the retail segment. We've never wanted to be big in gloves. Uh, we will always be a niche player within gloves. Uh, and through our understanding towards social compliances, we have a factory in Thailand. We have designed it in a way that it's more designed like a condom factory than probably a girl factory. Uh, and that experience that we have uh, basically is driving, uh, you know, customers to uh, to us in terms of the retail segment mm. to look at, you know, going in potentially higher market, you know, higher prices within re the retail where the demand is a little bit different. Okay, so it's not going to be a very expensive experiment for no. Carex. You're going to no. derive a profit. Yes. And when will commercial production start though? Well, commercial production has started to a certain extent, but we're still waiting for some of the key uh you know, certifications that we'll be getting and mm. we're basically confident, um, you know, customers within the retail segment has already pretty much said yes to, to, to move on projects with us. Meanwhile, MK, the market seems to believe your recovery story because the share price has bounced 130% from September lows, which were around hovering around 30 cents. Now, when I look at your valuations, uh, Bloomberg shows a forward PE of 58 times. This is Bloomberg. Not cheap when you compare it against the Bursa Malaysia or even compared to Racket or Okomato, which are admittedly not fair comparisons because they, are, they do make other products. But both of these names are trading at mid-teens. So has the easy money been made for Carex? What's the upside? 
Well, you know, in terms of valuation of stock, we really leave it to the market. That's how, the, you know, what, whatever we do, we believe in our future in the business and we leave, you know, shareholders to, to value where the business is. Uh, you know, I, I think um, the investing community probably is confident that and uh, with the recovery of Carex, uh, mm. people see us as a recovery stock. But you have already recovered. The stock price clearly has shown that, right? So what's the reason to hang on to the share? Because, you know, I look at your cash levels. They are like, they dropped from 42 million in the first quarter last year to 23 million or the first quarter this year. So I can't expect a very generous dividend, right? Or should I? So why, why should I hang on to the stock? If Let's say I was one of the lucky ones that bought it in September. Well, the, there is, um, you know, I think we're, we're still in the early stage of growth. Um, there will be a lot of potential products. I think synthetic products will basically change and tilt that whole equation within Carex. Um, you know, if you look into synthetic condoms, uh, prices margins will be significantly higher. So that's where I think um, you know I'm I'm confident with the organisation moving forward towards synthetic. But there's a lot more products that's still coming on way because uh, Carex today relies over 93% of our revenue through the sexual wellness division. Uh, it's not just only synthetic condoms. We're also doing very well currently with regards to personal lubricants. And the personal lubricant division just did a 300% growth last year. Okay, so lots of room to grow for Carex. On that note, thank you for your time. On the breakfast grill this morning was Go Mianket, CEO of Carex Berhad. I'm Wong Xiaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.